Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Um, 1,300... 1,300... <laughs> you can cut somewhere here. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Rain Stop Play. This week we'll be reviewing the India and England ODI series that finished last week and have a little look ahead to what's going on in the world of cricket in the next few months as well. Uh, Glenn and Will are here with me today. Will, how are you? I'm very good. I've been playing some cricket this week. Oh, uh, I, a... I have as well. I, I had a little training session last night. How did you get it on? Yeah, we did all right. We went up to up to the local park for a net. We thought, it's just me and my flatmate, we'll take the bat. By the time we got there, there were about 10 people knocking around. So we've made oh. friends now. We're, we're oh, part of the community. We're in, we're in the WhatsApp group for the local nets. If any oh. listeners do live in and around Brockwell Park, please come say hi. (laughs) (laughs) Can we get a rainstop plane net going maybe this summer? That could could be something to look forward to. Absolutely. Somewhere that's not my my back alley. (laughs) Steady on, Will. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Did you you bat a bowl? No ball. No bowls and no ball. Did you have a bat and a bowl? Tell the listeners what you do when, when you play cricket in your back alley. Yeah, we had a bat and a ball. I was I was pretty horrific at, at, at both, as anyone who attended Hove Lawns Cricket 2018 uh, could vouch for. Awesome. Um, yeah, I played a little bit as well. It was it was it was good fun, but I, my whole side hurts today because my muscles aren't used to doing those sort of things. Um, Glenn, any cricket for you in Wyoming this week? Is is the big question? Yeah, feeling a bit excluded in this conversation right now. I haven't. I, I've got my bat in my room, but that's the closest I've seen. To uh, yeah, any any net, it's it's been non-existent unfortunately. But um, yeah, looking forward to some cricket. Hopefully this summer back in the UK. I'm gonna hedge my bets on that. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. I love the idea of you just doing a bit of shadow batting. I don't know, a bit on the high me. on the high street in Laramie, and everyone's like, "What the heck is that guy doing?" <laughs> he gets sectioned or something. Um, right, let's get on to a bit of news before we go into this ODI series. Plenty going on as usual in the world of cricket. Uh, New Zealand are playing Bangladesh at the minute. New Zealand won their ODI series. 3-0 um, and then it's 2-0 in the T20 series in a minute the first T20 the one note I've got is Ishodi took four wickets in 11 balls and that's good to see him informed from a New Zealand perspective um, to have a, a good spinner in India as we've spoken about a lot in T20 cricket and then the second T20 which happened last night I believe um, a little bit of controversy that Bangladesh went out chasing a score after New Zealand was rained off after 17 overs and they didn't know what they were going for Nobody knew. Initially, it was about 160. No, initially it was about 148. Then it became 170. And then in the 13th over, it got changed again to 171. So uh, there's a good video on it if you want to watch it. A lot of confusion from the broadcaster and from the match officials. So that was pretty fun. I've not seen that happen before with Douglas Lewis. It's always been pretty solid, if a bit confusing for everybody. So try and piece it apart if you can. Um in the West Indies, uh, we've got a great test series going on between West Indies and Sri Lanka. I feel like these are two really, really well-matched sides that both have like 
a few cool, good young players coming through and, you know, a decent setup surrounding them as well. Glenn, you've been watching a bit of this. We're in the second test now, right? After that first yeah. test was drawn. Absolutely, yeah. That's, that's a really nice introduction, actually. Thanks, Dan, because they are two really balanced teams, which was demonstrated in the first match, uh, which finished a couple of days ago and, and was a draw, uh, a really hard-fought draw um, between the two. And yeah, we're currently on day three. It's it's a really nicely set test match. So West Indies got 354 in the first innings. Uh, Braithwaite, um, the captain and the opener, nearly carried his bat. He got uh, 126 and was the last man out for West Indies. Really well batted, though. Excellent, excellent innings. Really was the glue. Um, and then Rakim Kumul, uh, another one of the uh, Rainstop play favourites, he got his highest score in test matches with a really solid 73. Um, he's a real talent lower down the order. Um, it's it's great to see him do well. And then, yeah, the, um, Sri Lanka are currently 160 for four. So very, very even there. Um, Shannon Gabriel just got a wicket before we went on air. The short stuff working finally tempted one of the batsmen into a hook that went wrong so to be honest it's hard to really judge a winner at this point I'd say my guess would be moving towards a draw if it stays as it is day three both got another whole innings to do but yeah really really high quality and uh, very watchable test cricket there's a current rain delay as well as we're speaking right now you know what is it four-ish on on Wednesday afternoon in the UK so that does like it's gonna be a draw Cornwall strike rate as well. He went at 79, um, 73 off 92 balls. He's sort of a pinch hitter at the top of the order in the CPL as well. So he's very talented. Um, I think his bowling's still struggling. Has he picked up a wicket this innings? No. Not, none for 12 off 10 overs, though. I mean, control. I, I'm envious of that, that amount of control. Yeah, and he bowled a lot, I want to say, in the first test and didn't yeah. get a huge amount of reward for it. So, yeah, his batting is, is actually maybe a tiny bit better right now. Definitely, and yeah, keep your eye on that. I think it's on BT in the UK, and I'm sure you can find it elsewhere if you're crafty enough. Um, a very good test match. Enjoyable watching UK time as well, just late evening, if, if that's what you're into. Um, oh, Joffre Arch has done his hand, boys, um, playing, well, not playing with a fish tank, cleaning a fish tank is a better way to put it. Um, this wasn't, this wasn't released by England, and, he, and he's played through this slight hand injury through the entire in, uh, India tour. Um, sort of managed it. He's also been managing this elbow injury, which I think he's having surgery on, because Ben Stokes came out and said he needs to get it properly looked after to look after his long-term career. Um, so that was very interesting. Then Ashley Giles said on the Tuffers and Vaughan Gammon show, um, he uh, it's not a conspiracy, it's true. It was a fish tank. He was cleaning it at home. And this made me think it is a conspiracy, because I, I, was, I think you said it well earlier before we came on air, though. I don't think I can imagine Joff with a fish tank and he's cleaning it. Now I don't, if you see what I'm saying. I think Giles has kind of thrown me off there. Um, and he's going to be out for the first, what, four games of the IPL, is it, Will, for, for the Royals? That that kind of sucks. Yeah, well, it's, it's not quite clear at the moment. At first, it looked like he was going to miss the entire IPL. Then it was down to four games. Now it seems to be kind of touch and go, could go either way. Um, obviously, as a Rajasthan fan, I, I, I hope he recovers from his fish tank related injury uh, as soon as possible. Um, like you said, it, it was kind of bizarre, that quote, because it seems extremely on brand for Joff to break his hand messing around with a fish tank. I, I completely believe that. I didn't even question it. Now it does seem a lot like a conspiracy. 
Maybe maybe he broke quarantine to spend time with his fishes, and it's actually a suspension. But they're just <laughs> saying it has to be an injury because you can't do that twice. <laughs> it's a long-term major career-defining elbow injury that they're just hiding. They're just they're using that as as a way to hide it. Um, yeah, so hopefully it gets better soon, especially for the IPL's sake. Some other IPL news today: Will Jason Roy is now a Sunriser. I was trying to work out to say that. I was about to say he is a Hyderabad, but that doesn't work. He's a Sunriser. Uh, who is he replacing? I, I missed that. And do you think they're going to win it this year? Is two very important questions. Uh, he's replacing Mitch Marsh. Um, and, well, this is, this, is a, this is a famous callback reference to our previous uh, podcast name, Discussion on the IPL, where I boldly backed... Uh, the opening com- combo of uh, of Warner and Bairstow to win the IPL for Sunrisers. And as it turns out, despite some flirtations of making me look correct, uh, it wasn't an accurate prediction. It, d- it didn't happen. Um, they didn't even come that close. Um, they tried. They tried hard for you, didn't they? But they didn't quite do it. They tried. Look, they were better than Rajasthan. So fair <laughs> enough. Um, and I, But yeah, I mean, I do think if, if that's the top three, if it's Warner, Bairstow, or Warner and um, sorry, Roy and Bairstow opening with Warner at three. You've got to fit Kane Williamson, I guess, somewhere in around that. But that's and Rashi pretty... and Rashid Khan and, and that. And, well, and Jason Khan Holder, and, yeah. as that saying in our chat today, he's trying to fit about six overseas players in there. I think we'll file it under good headache to have TM. <laughs> um, but I mean, that is a, whichever way you you end up putting them in. It's it's a very dangerous opening two or three. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll save my actual prediction for our. Uh, our IPL preview podcast, shameless plug there. Watch out for that next week. Um, but I, I'd say it's it's looking better than it did last season. Yeah, that's a great tease. That is, we'll do tune in next week to see what bold predictions Will has conjured up over the next over Easter weekend. You know, <laughs> after a few beers potentially. Um, one more bit of news, boys. It's not news, but it's sort of news. There was a cracking article about Chris Wokes in the Guardian. I don't know if any of you read it, but we'll link it on the bottom of the tweet or in the episode or something. Basically saying, you know, what's happened to him? England's creature of the year. 2019 or 2020 anyway very recently hasn't earned himself a cap this year we were the chris wokes podcast we are the chris wokes podcast regardless of what our name is what do you reckon's happened to him boys i mean it's almost one of them where there's so many other good players around him that he hasn't been able to find a way in i think the two tours of the subcontinent kind of hurt him he's not he doesn't strike me as the kind of player who's gonna be that useful down there but do we expect to see him back in pretty quickly once england are playing at home again well, yeah, I think, as you said, Dan, it was the conditions didn't necessarily suit him, but at the same time, he wasn't given a go. So we couldn't really tell whether he could adapt to the conditions or do well. Because, yeah, he just wasn't given a chance. And it was frustrating for him because he, he can be a really pivotal member of the side. He's a brilliant all-rounder. He's very handy with the bat. And his bowling, again, especially in, in the more English conditions, is exceptional. And, yeah, it was very disappointing that we didn't see him at all. Um, across the series uh, yeah real shame for him and hopefully he can bounce back but again you know he spent a lot of time in the bubble for, for no reason basically so he's had the strain on his mental health without even the you know potential satisfaction of actually playing uh, so I can't imagine it's been a particularly enjoyable year for him whatsoever same with um, Matt Parkinson who travelled mm-hmm. I think across Sri Lanka as well and hasn't got himself a single game so you know uh, we can come on to that as we get into this, and that's probably a good segue. Um, let's look at the ODI series. It finished on Sunday. A fun series. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. I think we all did before this happened. Um, and the tour's over as well, lads. This this epic tour of India, which we've been covering um, and enjoying so much, is, is finally over. 
that makes you sound like I want it to be over. Maybe I did a little bit toward the end. Um, but India won the ODI series 2-1. Uh, they won the first um, ODI by 66 runs. England coming back and winning the second ODI by six wickets. And then a really entertaining third ODI was won by India by seven runs. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this series, boys. Will, did you enjoy this series on a, on a whole, just from an entertainment perspective? I did enjoy it. I was slightly burnt out from the tour by that point, yes. I'll be honest. I I remember when when the game actually started on Sunday for the last ODI, I do remember thinking, oh my God, is there still another game to go? Are we not, were we not over? I completely forgot it was happening. Um, but it did, did deliver us multiple um, stints of Pant and Hardik batting together, which was, which was all I asked for at the start, and it delivered that. So I'm happy. Uh, same question to you, Glenn. I know these ODIs were a bit um, cumbersome for you on a, on a time zone perspective, but... Did you enjoy this little ODI series and, you know, talk about the tour in general a little bit? Because it's been an epic tour, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been an incredible tour. Yeah, I, I think I probably mentioned to listeners um, last week, but the ODIs, with the time difference, couldn't really be starting at a worse time. It was about a 2 a.m. start here. So I would usually wake up about, you know, 8-ish and there might be half an hour left. There might not be. Um, I made the real mistake of seeing England about six or seven wickets down in the third game and rolling back over to sleep. I think it might have been a Sunday. And I saw Sam Curran was on one run when I woke up, and I was like, oh, my goodness, we'll be bowled out in about 10 minutes. Just straight, straight hit snooze again on the alarm. But, no, if I if I had bothered to stay awake, I would have really enjoyed it. And as a, as a contest, it was excellent. You know, these are two, across the three series, I think test... It really was clear the golfing quality, but across the the other two, especially you know the one day format and the T20, I think it was really obvious that these are two highly quality sides with really deep squads. You know we had for both sides, I think there were three key players missing, including your root, your bummers for the ODIs, and to see the quality of player that was willing to step up and make this such a competitive three game series is really inspiring. I think, and I think there was a lot of positives of both teams. Would have been brilliant if England didn't lose all three of the uh, of the mini tournaments. You could say that was a bit frustrating as a fan because I think we possibly deserved to win one of them, but at the same time, India did the business and they were just that bit better on the day, especially towards the end of games. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely would have wanted one series win out of this tour from the three formats. But if you offered me, what do we have? One Test win, an ODI win. Two T twenty. We got four wins out of this. That's not a bad return. I think the white wall stuff. You maybe want a couple more wins to try and turn a series. But yeah, the one test especially, I was very happy with. And kind of reflecting on the series as a whole, this India team is just so well rounded. I think I've been following cricket now for uh, I don't know eleven, twelve years, and this has got to be the 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 best side I think I've seen England face. As in depth of squad, uh, general ability. Um, and yeah, just the, t- the toughness of the opponent. I don't know if you agree with that, Will, but do you remember maybe around Christmas time when I said this is a once-in-a-generation sort of team that's got building here? I said it and went, oh, that sounds a bit bold. But I don't know. I think I think this is kind of proof of it. England is still a very good team, and India made them look pretty pretty shoddy at points. Yeah, and in the time since you said that, it's got better and better. We've seen yeah, even yeah, more people exactly. come in and, and make their debuts, and pretty much all of them done so successfully. Um McGill in Australia, Akshar Patel in this series, um, numerous others. I we I always want to say Washington Zendo, or forgetting that it's it's not his debut, but it feels like it should be. Um, but there's been a whole bunch of them, and I think that the nice thing to see is that they're not all specialists in 
one of the formats. It, it would have been really easy to play into the, the narrative with the success of the IPL and everything else that all of these Indian kids were going to come through and just be T20 specialists. Um, and actually, they're, they're not. There's a really good breadth of talent across Test, ODIs and T20s, including really perplexing cases like Shikha Darwin still not managing to be a good T20 batsman, but somehow excellent <laughs> in the 50-over format. Um, but I do think when you take across the, the breadth of formats and then the the depth of quality in fast bowling, spinners, all-rounders, top-order and middle-order batsmen, I think it is a, an unbelievable wealth of talent and, and probably the best rounded and, and most talented and balanced side that I've seen in a long time. I love that point on that these guys aren't in one format and you could you could probably feel, it's maybe a bit brash, but you could maybe feel that T20 team in a test and they could get on that would be fun if they started doing that um but i love that point that yeah pants great across all formats um crew now came in and could be great in an odi or a t20 uh axar in test matches was lethal and then could control and end in an odi um yeah it's, it's been fantastic stuff um let's talk about their odi series as a whole then um i found their batting tempo quite interesting in the the first two odis they went fairly slow to start at about you know, four, four and a half and over, and then exploded and managed to get to that three, 320 plus mark twice. Then in the third one, they went quick out of the blocks um, and still got sort of the same score. So I don't know what you guys think about their batting because it's definitely kind of, it feels like their stock method is to go very slow, build and let their pinch hitters do, which is obviously the opposite to England. Do you like that? Because I think we saw what they could do in that third ODI and come out of the blocks like England, which is a formula that does work. Yeah, well, I think it's in some ways the Indian approach to it kind of mirrors the slightly more T20 tactical approach where you need wickets in hand going into the last 10 overs. And that's kind of the key thing. Um, I don't have any of the worm charts in front of me. I wish I did because it would be really interesting to compare how England go about it versus India. But it's it's definitely the case, as you say, they don't really need to get off to a particularly explosive start. Um, if, if Zach were here, we, we would say anchor and put a pound in the swear chart. <laughs> <laughs> um but that definitely is is a more patient approach at the top of the order, and then relying on on Pant and one of the the Pandyas and whoever else to come in towards the end. I saw in that third ODI there was something like a near enough a hundred ball partnership for Pant and Pandya off about nine overs or something like that, which is nearly a third of the of the runs India scored in the whole thing, which gives you a sense of of, of how crucial that partnership was to the to the whole affair. Um, which you could tell towards the end of that third innings, India were possibly lucky to win that game overall because they did do a hard collapse right at the end. And that possibly shows the fragility of that approach, that if you go slowly towards the beginning and then, you know, you get caught early in the middle overs, as can happen when you try to start slogging it around, that's that's possibly a slightly um, fragile tactic because then you do get in trouble quite quickly. Um, but overall, I think it's it's really interesting to see the tactical difference between the two there. Yeah, I think it's a really good question, actually, um, Dan. I completely agree with Will's, um, you know, description of the of the India tactics. I think England, it's it's it is a contrast. It's a, it's a really apparent one, and I think the the second ODI really demonstrated that. So India got three hundred and thirty six, as you said, which seemed like you know it's a competitive total. I wouldn't, you know, it's hard to say on, on a good pitch what a really strong ODI total is at the minute because it keeps rising. Right, we saw that in the World Cup. We saw some huge totals, but the way in which England chased it. Almost with disdain, you know, Roy 55, Besto 124, Stokes with the most magnificent 99 that deserved 100 you will ever oh, that, see. That was, that, was so, that was so sad. And then Coley was giving it bigger and I was like, mate, could you just for one second <laughs> not celebrate that loudly at a wicket, please? 
<laughs> exactly. You had that, obviously, um, that villain, a hero kind of um, discourse going on in, in the background. But, you know, Stokes getting 99 at a strike rate of 190 with 10 sixes is just ridiculous. Um, so that's when you saw it working for England. But then in a cut in the other games, obviously the ones we lost, it didn't work. And you saw... I think Butler had an especially disappointing series at the bat, and you could see if he had been firing, I think we actually probably would have won at least one of the games. But the fact that he wasn't, and if we didn't get that mammoth total from the from the top three, then suddenly there was more pressure on our middle order. The other way around, whereas India's middle order, because they had that foundation, as Will said, they had the freedom to go and aim for a strike rate of 150 above, because the foundation had been set. So... I think it's a high risk, high reward strategy for England when it works. Wow, that's it. I mean, you can't argue with the with the result in that second uh, game. But when it doesn't work, we end up losing matches, which is why India, you know, bottom line, deserve to win this ODI series because they just played slightly better cricket at the most important times. Yeah, I think I think that's what swung this series. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think when Stokes and Bairstow were in, I think 500 looked par, maybe maybe 550. <laughs> it, it was that good, and that was a moment of bliss watching. Some of those India bowlers get. I feel bad because I'm enjoying the India bowlers getting hurt more than I am watching the England batsmen doing well. I think that's when you get to the end of a tour and you just start to hate every opposing player. That's where I got you on Sunday. Um, And we've lost. Um, uh, Where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So I I agree with that. But I think the reason England can't do what India do um, is because A, it works so well and Roy and Bess are very good at going quickly. But I don't think we have the the pinch-hitting finisher ability that India do. And we saw that get we saw that get caught out a little bit in that third ODI in that if, if they do lose a couple early, Pan and Pandya aren't that good at just slowly building in innings. They need 15 overs just to go. So that's why it's so important that Kohli or Darwan or Sharma are there probably until the 35th over. Whereas England, I feel like we don't have the finishers as such. I don't think we saw that across the whole series, but as long as we've got quick out the door and everybody just goes with the whole 50 overs, we'll, we'll stumble our way to 350. Something like that, if you see what I'm saying. Um, I've got a really interesting stat about Bairstow and Roy I just found, which is that in their 43 ODI innings together opening the partnership, they have scored 100, 100 partnership 13 times, which is pretty outrageous. I think they've got to be, they've got to be up there as one of the best ODI opening partnerships of all time, let alone for England. I think, you know, people get a bit excited on Twitter when it's happening in front of their eyes and they're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. But I do think on reflection, these guys are, these guys are pretty good at what they do, um, especially with that explosive start. I think England got to just stick to that for as long as they're there. Um, and then a word for Johnny Bairstow. And Glenn, I, w- I want you to lead on this because you're sort of, you've backed Johnny Bairstow on this podcast in, in its various names uh, since since day one, I'd argue. And if we look at his white ball winter, uh, three ODIs, 219 runs, an average of 73, uh, that winning player of the series, incidentally, in this ODI series, and eight T20s, uh, 207 runs with an average of 51 and a strike rate of 146. He is indispensable in this white ball team. And again, when we talk about him in this sense, I have to separate red ball Johnny from white ball Johnny. Um, and we're talking about just white ball Johnny here. How how good is he? And this could be this needs to be the last chat about whether we respect him or not because we need to more. He sounds like Jekyll and Hyde when you're talking about <laughs> this red ball, white ball kind of guy. It, it might as well be the way you play. <laughs> but no, no, I, I'm I'm glad you pointed out those stats because they're really remarkable. When you think over the three ODI innings in the previous week or so, he only failed once. 
Um, it was one one innings, he got one, and the other, and he got 100 in the other and 50 in the other. So he is such an explosive batsman. I still feel like he can time the innings well. It's not as if he just like closes his eyes and tees off. He's not reckless, so someone on Twitter might enjoy that. Um, it, <laughs> It, it, it's great to see, and you know we, we we don't need to you know belabor the point. We've discussed that he isn't he hasn't got the reputation he deserves, and you know that that stat you mentioned just a minute or two ago, before the Besto question, is so important because it, it, it is worth noting that these two, Roy and Besto, um, although we might not like to state it, really are two of the best openers in the game. And I just remember during the World Cup, you know, we, we'd almost feel guaranteed that we'd be eighty for one after 10 overs. It was just a given. It was almost stranger if that wasn't the case. I think it's both of their consistencies that are so good. And I do want to shout out Jason Roy as well right now, in the same vein that we're talking about Bairstow, because he can get a lot of slack. He's not an aesthetic player. His his, his experiment in the tests was a disaster, um, and he clearly isn't suited to test cricket, and that's absolutely fair enough. He's a one-day player, but because he doesn't play the strokes, for example, contrasting him with Milan, who always plays beautiful cricket, and whenever Milan gets into his flow, I absolutely adore watching him play. Whereas Jason Roy, it's just brute force. But at the same time, it's highly, highly effective. And the two of them in tandem just deserve so much respect um, opening up for England because they always, almost always give us a platform to build from. So, yeah, two exceptional batsmen. And, yeah, I really hope this does put to bed this question about whether they are our ODI openers because, in my opinion, they absolutely are. They're two of the best in the world on their day. I, I think I think the Red Bull stuff's kind of killed both of them. Not killed, but um, tarnished their reputation amongst England fans slightly because you see them get out in a few daft ways and kind of ruin test innings and you kind of lose respect for them. Whereas if they hadn't done that, perhaps we just like, these are unbelievable white ball players. So, yeah, separate the two, Jekyll and Hyde, as you said. Um, a couple New England batsmen came in during this series then. So Morgan did the webbing in his hand. Is he going to be fit for the IPL? I, I think he might miss a couple of games even. I hope not. Uh, and Billings did a collarbone, but I think he'll be fit for the IPL, whether he's even picked in... in was it Capitals he got signed for? Whoever he got signed for it was. Um, whether they'll play. Anyway, uh, so Liam Livingston got his ODI debut in the second ODI. Um, and David Milan came in. And we spoke about how perfect for ODI David Milan would be. And he was alright. He was okay. He, I, I do think if Root was, didn't exist, Joe Root didn't exist, he'd be perfect for that role. But I don't really see him overtaking Joe Root. I don't know if you boys do. He was sort of alright for what we needed for this series. Uh, and then a few words on Liam Livingston, who I thought looked, you know, busy, um, great intent. And I thought when he came in and hit those two sixes in the second ODI, uh, after a little collapse, showed great confidence and intent and kind of what this England team is all about in that, you know, just hit out pretty much, hit, play your game and we'll get through this. This is how we win games. Um, I think to do that after a little collapse was unbelievable. So, yeah, uh, words on Livingston and Milan, who, who debuted this series. I think I think Livingstone especially jumped out as a really savvy player. I think you were really right, Dan, to to mention there that yeah he came in and he played the role that a couple of the uh, Indian middle order batsmen did, which is basically he walked in and started hitting, but he did it successfully. Um, so he yeah, he got sixty three runs, um, high score of thirty six. But it's interesting he didn't face a huge amount of balls. I want to say I think he came in especially towards the set end of the second game when the when it was almost won. You know Stokes had done the damage by that point. I would love to see him get a long innings and really see what he can do. I mean I don't think he 
did exceptionally well. He got he got thirty six, so he even did, he did pretty well in that in that final one as well. And he was going he was going at a really nice pace. He was going above a runner ball. And to be honest, I was really impressed with him. Um, I think Milan we know enough about. He got a very classy fifty in that in that final game as well. And they complemented each other quite well. And Livingstone especially. We I think we know what Milan does. I think he does it very well on his day. And I, it's great to have him in the England setup. Uh, but Livingstone maybe because he was slightly new to us as a fan. Uh, this you know shiny new toy we've got in the middle order. I thought he did brilliant, and he can bowl as well. So I think he's a really a really useful addition to this England England setup. I was just going to come on to his bowling because I think he had three overs in the second or the third ODI, picked up a wicket, caught by Moeen Ali, and someone on Twitter said Moeen taking that catch, you know, might force Livingston into the T20 team ahead of him. Isn't that interesting? Should <laughs> should, should Moeen have shelled it basically? But <laughs> On a serious point, I think if Livingston can, you can get two overs out of Livingston. And from what we've seen in that uh, ODI series as a, maybe a number six quick finisher, which I don't feel like we have at the minute in England, that, that could be a genuine option. I don't know if any of you agree with, with that. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly prepared to say nice words about Liam Livingston until, Dan, you say that a good performance from Livingston will kick Moeen out of the team, at which point, <laughs> unfortunately, with the greatest respect to the man, I can't wish him the best. Um, uh, but, do, you, but, do you want to talk about Moeen for a bit, Will? Because he had a, a decent... I thought he looked more confident with the bat, a couple of sort of 30s, I think, and he was bowling his 10 overs. That's quite good. I mean, isn't that crap that that's a compliment for Moeen now? He bowled his 10, you know, he pitched it, but I thought he looked all right. Yeah, two things on Moeen. One, that ball in the, in the test series where he dismissed Coley and causing Vera to look completely confused. That was six weeks ago now. <gasps> six weeks. I remember that. I, I remember that. I just, start, I just started my new job and that gif was going around everywhere. I remember that vividly. And we wait, he, 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 he got Coley out again, didn't he, in the third? Did he bowl him? Yeah. On? He struggles against uh, Rashid and, Mo- and Moeen, isn't he, Coley? And then, and then likes to look quite angry at the dismissal every time. He's, he's good quality, isn't he? He is basically like the bloke who turns up to the nets and thinks they're really good and then gets out to the dodgy yeah. off spinner. And he says, oh, no, that was a no ball or, you know, the fly came in my line or something. Um, he's also hundredless still, Coley. And as effortlessly as he gets to a 50, there is a good Twitter account, you know, days since Coley last got a hundred. And it has been a while. And he was asked about it. He said he didn't bother him. But I reckon it is. Are you trying to make this narrative happen? Yeah, absolutely. I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for it. Yeah, the other, I mean, the other quick thing on Moeen, quickly, is, is I think you're right to frame the question in the way that you did, which is that he wasn't poor by any means. It was a pretty decent performance from him. Um, but it's a low bar at this point. It, it does feel like if you bowl your 10 overs and you bowl pretty well and don't go for too many, and you bat okay at a runner ball for 25, 30-odd, that, that <laughs> feels like the best we can hope for from Moeen, which is a bit harsh and, and isn't what we all know that he can do at his best. So it is interesting to note that he was the only bowler with an economy rate of under six across the series. So what he does, his role, you, you did say it, Will, like I know the bar is low for him, but he has one of those very subtle roles, I think, in ODI, in ODI matches, and he always has. He, he isn't, you know, this huge prolific wicket taker um, in this format. He, he always feels like he can be more destructive and immediate within T20 cricket. But he does what he does is he keeps it ticking over. He can constrain the batsman. Unlike Test cricket, where there seemed to be a loosener every over for some reason recently, he seems to be much more steady, and there's less mistakes from him. So yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not a 
performance across the games that we think, oh my goodness, man of the series or anything, because he wasn't. But at the same time, he still had a pretty important, if if quiet, role in this in this setup. So I think absolutely keep him around. And I still think he could be arguably said to be a pretty key member of this team um, when you look at the stats. I think that's a really good point, but it's probably just a slightly better way of phrasing what I was trying to get at, which is that it is a very crucial and subtle role, but it's not the role that he would have probably chosen for himself three, four years ago and that fans and and selectors would have looked at for him. And probably the biggest part of that, more so than the bowling, is just the decline of his batting, which seems pretty consistent in all formats. That's such a good way to frame it, actually, is that we kind of expect more. If this was a, a new kid off the block doing what the moment he's been doing, we're like, great, solid player, doing the sort of dirty work behind the scenes, as it were. But yeah, we 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 expect and we know he can do more. Another reason why I think he's great to still have around is that he still can get 40 off 20 balls if we need it. Maybe it's probably one in 20 innings, though, but it it is still there. I think with where he's at with cricket, his whole relationship with cricket, just having him playing and doing an okay job, I think is a good step for what could be a sort of second wave in his career. Hopefully, um, still plenty of cricket from him to come. Uh, other England bowlers then, I think we've done the batting. Oh, Tom Curran, got a, there was a great stat. I think this was prior to the second ODI, in which I believe he picked up a couple of wickets. He His bowling figures in the previous ODIs from 74 overs was one for 412, which was a brutal average. I think he picked up two in the second ODI, maybe. Yeah, he did, because he didn't play in the third. Um, I read a great article in Wisden about him in so much as that he's not gone backwards. He's not any worse at what he's doing. It's just that other players around him have got better and he hasn't followed that. So it kind of looks like he's going backwards. I don't know if any of you boys agree, but... We've chatted about him a couple of times and that he's he's probably the first one to go if we're going to make any changes in this team. Um, Toppy came in and did a great job. You've got Mark Wood, Archer, Woke should be in this team still. So there probably isn't a place for him And when his brother's doing so well as well. So, yeah, it's Tom Curran's time up, basically, is the question. I mean, yeah, those, those bowling stats, I think we all probably saw that Uh on Twitter, uh, it is pretty brutal reading, isn't it? It's kind of hard to argue with figures that bad. Yeah, I think at the minute it probably makes sense for him just to take a breather from the from the ODI setup and just focus on you know really sharpening himself in in domestic cricket. Um, I think he struggled in the IPL, I want to say as well recently. So yeah, he did. yeah it, it, it's a, it's been a tough year for him, um, especially you know with his brother Sam doing so brilliantly in that in that final one. You know, I guess there always is that comparison element, which I don't think we need to make because I don't think it's necessarily accurate at all. But it is, yeah, it's been it's been hard for him. And right now, I think there are probably more players in the line ahead of him. I think he's been given a fair go, unlike maybe Pope and Bess. I think he's been treated okay by the England setup. So yeah, he's been given a very fair opportunity. I think he needs to go back to England, get a stack of wickets, um, get some more runs, and just play himself back into form. He's clearly a quality player. I don't doubt that at all. And a lot of players have ups and downs, and he's still very young. He's still got a lot of cricket to play. So not a huge worry, I think, for the England camp, but just just give him a breather. Yeah, I'm with that. I think he's still a very skillful bowler, and those skills can be useful if you can find a little bit of form. If we chat about Sam Curran for a bit, obviously his 95 not out nearly got England over the line at third ODI. But I saw a lot of tweets, and I think I agree that he's quite a peculiar player. I mean, his highest ODI score prior to that was 15. And his test average used to be sort of about 35, and then that's gone down a little bit. So some days he looks unbelievable with the bat. Some days he looks like he can't get it off the square. 
I think his bowling's very solid. Very solid. Nothing life-changing. But he's another one that I feel like could be expended by England if they didn't want him around. And I think they want to stick with him. But I, I don't know where I'm at on Sam Curran is, is basically what I'm getting at here. I think he had a great IPL and he's looked okay in these two ODI series. And sometimes he gets 95 not out and sometimes he can't get off the square. So I don't really know where I sit with him, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's it's a good question because, again, he has flashes of brilliance. I saw I saw some criticism of him online. They were like, he's always known as the guy that makes things happen, in quotation marks. And there's this expectation that because he you know, has a slightly different action, I think because he's a bit smaller, he obviously comes in from a different angle. I don't think the Indian batsmen were too fussed about his bowling, it's fair to say. I don't yeah. think he was hugely threatening. Uh, he is a bit, he's a bit of a wild card, isn't he? I think I'm probably going to just, just be that person that people on Twitter are getting annoyed with. He, he's not always, he's sometimes just an unknown quality. We just, like, he, things do happen occasionally. Like, that 95 is the definition of making something happen from nothing. But at the same time, you can't have someone playing week in, week out with the expectation that one in five games something special happens and the other times is bang average. I mean, that's not healthy for the player nor the squad. I think he's shown in the IPL that he is clearly a class player. I do not doubt his his talent at all. Um, but yeah, I, I feel exactly the same as you, Dan. I never really know what to say about him because if he hadn't got that 95, if that had been another 10, then we'd be like, well, why is he in the team? And I think we mentioned mm. in the previous in the previous pod to this we weren't quite sure of his place in the T20 setup. I think that 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 came up. I might have mentioned that, but yeah, I mean, as it stands, both brothers are clearly talented. There's, there's absolutely no doubting that. Just maybe how do we get the best out of them? That is probably the question for England, for England supporters, and for the setup. And I'm not really too sure of that answer. I think the the important thing to remember with Sam Curran for me is that he qualifies under my new rule that I've just invented off the top of my head, which is if he's younger than the people on this podcast, he should get the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Let's let's definitely take that forward. And he's also younger than Don Bess, who gets to slightly get away with the with the line of, oh but he's learning in Test cricket and he's learning into nice. the role. And when Great you compare boy. what Sam Curran has already done in his his career with that excellent opening spell in the test team and then as you said in the IPL and, and other bursts of quality He's done a lot for his career for a 22-year-old, and, and I think he's certainly earned the right to, as you say, Glenn, be in and around the team and, and, and find his time to learn into whatever the best role is for him. And that 95 was unbelievable. Like, some of his hitting is fantastic when it's on. I think what's happened, <coughs> excuse me, this series is that a lot of England's lower middle order has just been a little bit out of nick, and it's made everything look a little bit higgledy-piggledy and not like it's working properly. But when one or two of them are in, Nick, you know, we do bat deep. And we love saying that in England, that we bat deep. And we do when they're in form, but I guess every team does. Um, but, yeah, I think a good series for England still. And I think we've still got a great ODI side because we've still got a lot of important pieces to come back, namely Joe Root and Joffre Archer. Uh, and Chris Wokes, of course, as well. Um, uh, Sam Curran, yeah, makes things happen. Charlotte Takur makes things happen. He's the golden arm. He picks up wickets out of nowhere. Um, seven wickets across the series at 22. His average economy was 6.7, and that was the general thing the commentator said when he came on, was that he'll grab you a wicket, but he's going to go for a bit. Um, again, with India, there's a few key pieces missing. Is is Thakur a long-term solution, do you reckon, Will? Or did he just have a good series when there were a few people injured? 
he certainly had a very good series and it's it, again it's it's to his testament much like we said with Siraj in Australia that with other people out he could step up and, and embrace some of that leadership role that says a lot about him and it's a, it's a good quality to have I still think if you were picking a World Cup squad tomorrow he wouldn't be in my top three bowlers to go with I think he's probably still obviously well behind Bumrah, Boovy, Shami, probably Siraj but he does bowl in a very different way to all of those. Um, and he is the most, as suggested by that economy stat, he is the most of a wild card. He does throw in a lot of variations. He does a lot of different things with the ball. Um, he is possibly more of a wicket-taking threat even than someone like Booby. Um, so maybe if you, if you are coming up against a team, maybe if Shami's out, for example, he's probably the one that comes in and does that slightly more aggressive role. So he certainly put himself in a good position going forward. Yeah, can we talk about Booby Nashua again? And I, I don't know, not for too long because you just chatted about him in the T20 games, but I forgot how good he was. I really did. And he was Virat's, I'm on first name terms now, he was Kohli's go-to man to either pick a wicket or kind of stop uh, Stokes and Bairstow charging away. Just some words on him. I I love the way he bowls. Yeah, well, he's just by far the most controlled and experienced and relaxed. And you know that you're never going to give it to him and he's going to panic and he'll fly off for 15, 20 in and over. Um, And sometimes that's the most important thing that you get from a bowler. Yeah, that is so. That is so true. In that, I think all of the bowlers, all the other India bowlers, especially in that second one, could have gone for twenty, like regardless of how well they bowled. That was that was at the time. You knew Booey wasn't going for more than ten, was he? At worst, and that would have been a bad over for him. There wasn't much Washington in this series, and that disappointed me greatly. Obviously, I'm his number one fan, but why is what I want to know. I don't think any of India's spinners did themselves much justice. Uh, Kuldeep Yadav, is that the left-arm spinner? Looked awful in that second ODI. Uh, but I put in the chat that, to me, he looks like a right-handed leg spinner bowling it left-handed. He doesn't He doesn't look right. And I know he got a five from a T20, but that looked wrong. I just want to chat about India's spin department, basically. I don't, I don't quite know what's going on there. Because for me, Washington should be up there. Yeah, I'm looking back through the, the scorecard for the, for the third ODI. And I'm not sure they really played a full-time spinner at all. Mm-hmm. No, because um, I'm guessing Prunel bowled a few. Yeah. He's like you know, left arm darts, and then I can't even think who else. Because because yeah, Yadav got the chop after that second ODI. Yeah, Yadav got the chop, and then that was it. You had, you had for, for the third, you had Bhuvi, Natarajan, Prasid, Shardul, and Hardik. Oh yeah, they just pinned spinners off altogether. Yeah, so maybe they just maybe they decided after all of our discourse in the test that it was just unfair to play spinners. <laughs> Well, I, th- I think what's, what else is interesting is this shows us two things about England's spin department. So, A, it really underlines how well Moeen did. In tandem with B, Rashid really struggled. So I think these were pitches very much designed for pace. That's quite clear. I mean, India, you know, not really playing much spin in a home series, no matter what the format is, is quite telling. And yeah, Rashid, you still, you still got three wickets, but his economy rate was above seven, 7.3, which is quite high for him. And um, yeah, he didn't he didn't look at his best. Um, and Pant was quite happy uh, to take him on. Pant had an excellent record against Rashid in this series. Um, so, yeah, it really wasn't, I think, just just a series for spinners. And yeah, I think it's a really good point. And it is quite funny. Your your criticism of uh, Kuldeep Yadav is exactly what the India selectors have been saying <laughs> for the past couple of weeks. Absolutely roasting the poor guy. I mean, I feel a bit bad. Wisdom have given him one out of ten for his ranking. I, yeah, I he, he's played one game. Is that, is that too high for you, Dan? <laughs> too high for me, mate. Probably, probably <laughs> half of best. Just put it in his other hand. He'll start bowling jaffers. That's, what, that's what's annoying me the most. 
But yeah, these are all 300 pitches, weren't they? 300 plus yeah. pitches, um, which is interesting to see. And I think that's going to say something about the T20 World Cup, potentially, in that mm. you definitely need one spinner, of course, but I don't think you need to be dropping three or four spinners in a team like everyone who goes to the subcontinent thinks you need sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, that obviously Rashid, who who opens for us quite often in T20s, he's got that, that, that place locked in, rightfully so. So that might actually, interestingly, put Moeen's selection looking forward more more in the air than it would if we needed yeah. those two spinners as an England fan so interesting dynamic there but very right to point out Washington's absence because I kind of thought that throughout the games but it only really hit me during this conversation that he was kind of missing in action but along with the rest of the high quality India spinners I guess there's just so many to choose from isn't there there's something I've left out at some point um is, is Axar an ODI player I mean we spoke about the sort of breadth and depth and these can all play everywhere but he didn't get a game did he after the test matches no he might he might have played one t20 he struggled in one t20 and didn't didn't do particularly no, well enough. i think fair enough and what's his ipod team we keep an eye on him he's capitals isn't he will yeah he's deadly i think isn't he yeah okay so keep an eye on him but that's an interesting thing to look at and what what we might get in the future but it's hard to talk in in great long-term issues about the odi teams because there's not a tournament for a long time. So I think both teams did well. Both teams were very, very good. Um, and we've been treating some great cricket uh, this whole tour. And it, it was two of the best sides in the world going at it. And I'm just disappointed that well, we couldn't get a couple more wins. You know, just a couple more. Um, next for each team, for England and India, is a test match in England against New Zealand. Isn't that a fun <laughs> fact? When, when's that ever going to happen again? So obviously India playing the World Test Championship final at... The Aegeus Bowl now, not Lords. Um, that'll probably be a, a bubble test. That's what that's probably suggesting. Uh, and England uh, playing New Zealand at home in a couple of test matches and maybe some white ball stuff. I, I didn't bother to check. But the IPL starts, boys. That's coming up hot on our heels. April the 9th until the 30th of May. Is it always that long? Is it always that long? Because just, just looking at those two dates on a screen, they're they're miles apart. But that is that is the case, isn't it? What's that? Six weeks, seven weeks? It's less time than we've been on this tour. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, this tour's felt like a year. So what we're we saying about six months then for for that? Um, the county championship also starts uh, on the eighth of April. So it's Thursday the eighth. Uh, a few warm up games going on at the minute. Oh yeah, Zach. I forgot to mention. Zach wanted to mention this. He can't be with us today. Uh, he's busy. But Michael Atherton's son scored a ton against Yorkshire which is fun. Uh, I think he's playing for Leeds, Bradford, something like that. Uh, but lots of cricket going on around uh, the counties at the minute. We're going to have a county championship special in two weeks' time. We've got our IPL on Monday. Look, listen out for that. That's going to be, well, our second one of this pod, isn't it? We, we did one in November. Was it November? No, October. I've, I've lost all sense of time. <laughs> Beginning of October, I think, yeah. Jeez. And we did every team, didn't we? So we'll do the same thing again. We couldn't get, um, is it Jake McCrum? Jake McCrum unfortunately yeah, stopped us. Couldn't get him on. We DM'd him, and <laughs> so far we've not heard anything. He sounds was... like a like a Star Wars bounty hunter. The name. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, language like that. Glenn, language like that means we're not going to get him on. So. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no special guests, but it'll be me, me Will, uh, and Zach. Maybe Glenn. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I've just. I've just unincluded you there. 
<laughs> no, I just had a quick look, actually, to be fair, mate. As you were talking, I was, I was checking the start times of the games, and majority are 8 a.m., some of them are 4 a.m. So, oh. once again, I've been I've been hamstrung by the time difference for this tournament. It's horrible for America, unfortunately. No, no breakfast IPL for you? Eight, see, 8 is a bit early for me, Well, Truth be told, it's just a little <laughs> bit early. <laughs> <laughs> why don't why don't you watch Swan at four o'clock as you go into bed then? Surely that's that's the way forward. Yeah, they've timed that perfect. I requested a four AM game before bed. Um yeah, so that that's the plan for us. So Monday IPL, following Monday you'll get your county championship preview. Um and yeah, thank you for listening to this ODI uh series review and that's that's it for our, in, our India England content for now. There's more this year, of course, because in India come over to England for another full tour. So that's very exciting. Uh, Glenn, we'll see you. We'll see you soon, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Get some sleep, you know, get up whenever you want. Uh, <laughs> and Will, I'll chat to you on Monday. I will see you on the IPL pod. And we'll see you on the IPL pod next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.